Hi, I'm Jason. I've had successes and what I felt like were epic failures. At each point, it was the people I walked with and learned from who helped me through. On my podcast, What Works, I interview authors, educators, executives, and people who work to change the world. I walk for a moment on their journey and learn from them. For me, that's What Works. You're listening to the What Works podcast with Jason Todd. Today, I'm excited. My special guest here is Jerry Colonna. He is the author of Reboot, uh, Leadership, and the Art of Growing Up, and he's also the founder of and CEO of Reboot.io. He is known uh, as uh, kind of the, su- the supreme coach. I know that's <laughs> over. He, he wouldn't probably agree with the idea of supreme coach, but he is an executive coach and well-respected. Uh, by people who uh, many many of us would look to and say, hey, those people have success, uh, and they're actually looking to to Jerry, I think, in many cases. And so this this is super it's a super big honor for me. Uh, but I invited him on this podcast because I read his book Reboot, and it spoke to my heart. and uh, And so it's I'm just honored to be able to share this journey. Welcome to the What Works podcast. Oh, thank you, Jason. And it's uh, it's a delight. Um, to meet you. Um, it means a lot to me that the book meant something to you. As you know, from reading the book, <clears throat> writing something that would touch somebody's heart and really provoke their mind was something that I really wanted to do. And then um, I really liked your, your, your little introduction. I, you know, lately, um, somebody on, on Twitter started calling me the business philosopher. And I kind of like that. I, ooh, I was a philosophy minor in college, so that's kind of cool. So I enjoyed that. I think that's fitting, actually. The business philosopher. And yes. supreme coach. And supreme coach. And you can even go so far as say, dear leader. Dear leader. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I've seen these. I've, Netflix has all these cult videos uh, where they're unpacking things. This never ends well, Jerry. <laughs> I am not your guru. That's a good, that's a good one. (laughs) That's yes, that is a good one. Well, one of the, one of the things that struck me in this book is your authenticity. And I know that's kind of a, just a buzzword nowadays, Mm -hmm. but I really do believe there is this thing about vulnerability and I've sensed it in myself being Mm -hmm. not vulnerable and then becoming vulnerable. And I sense this Mm -hmm. vulnerability uh, in you where you talk about these moments in your life and along your journey. Uh, which seemed to be defining moments where you made radical, it seems, life changes. This, you came to the fork in the road and you just took off on some direction. And you start unpacking now where that's led you. And, and you, go, you go down this journey of faith. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, as you look back in your life now, just sharing this journey together here for this brief moment of time, how far are you now? When you look back, how far are you from where you were? And well, how would you characterize that? Well, um, I'd, I'd love to answer that question, but I'd like to do something first, please, which is just a word about authenticity and vulnerability. Um, you're right. I do talk about the fact that the word authenticity is a bit overused. It's kind of like another version of mindfulness. Like, what the hell does it mean? Right. So, you know, being a kid from Brooklyn, I like 
to occasionally draw things into very simple language, which is being real and being true. And true as in the way I often visualize this, the way the spokes of a bicycle wheel are tuned so that the wheel is trued so that when it spins, it can spin almost forever. So that the inside of someone and the outside of someone are actually aligned. And that same process of truing up. Um, and a word about why that's so important. Because um, I did try to do it in, in my book, and I think that's what you're responding to. When we author a book, when we stand up in, in, uh, in front of an audience, when a client comes to me as a coach, when we hold our position as CEO of a company, we have power. And as Spider-Man's Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. And for me, the responsibility is to be real. Mess and all. Because if the person who has power is aware and awake and true, then it does something really magical. It makes it safe for other human beings to show up. Right. And that was an important context statement to then get back. And I've still got your question in mind. Mm -hmm. When those moments of what you do you describe as defining moments, and you know, in some ways, I describe them as asteroid strikes in my book. Right, is when when something happens that that from which the rest of your life starts to unfold. If you can approach those moments from that place of inner and outer alignment then the place you will end up is true to you. So that all that's a long-winded preamble to get back to your core question, which is, I am me then versus me now. Me then at 38 versus me now at 57. I am essentially the same. I continue to build upon i just finished up a call with a client i continue to build upon the knowledge that i had then but i am vastly different um recently i had lunch with a dear friend whom i haven't seen in 15 16 years and he we sat down in seattle where i did not pick up coronavirus um you don't know that sat, we don't know that <laughs> incubation period I'm from Colorado. We have drive-through testing. Um, and he sits down and he says, you know, you're just, he looks at me and he says, you're just in your seat. You're in your boots. Right. And what he was referring to was uh, something I often say to a client, which is um, hold your seat as if you have every right to that seat. Mm -hmm. And so 
the, the main difference, both in terms of the work I do and who I am, the main difference is I no longer am plagued by wondering whether or not I have a right to be here. Mm. I love that. I, 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 I feel that, um, I feel what you're saying. I sat with someone today who came out of a group I was in and she wanted to talk to me briefly about buying a business. And, and I, uh, the, the surety with which I spoke to her about life and said things like, uh, I said, you know, see, see if this resonates with you. You're, you're, you're just wandering right now mm -hmm. and you're unsettled. I'm like, I'm looking into her soul at that moment mm -hmm. with a compassion, which I didn't have, I think in my life, um, several years ago and an authority all at the same time. Right. Like, I think what you're talking about, you hold your seat and, and you just, you, you approach life or your work or conversations, um, with this kind of honoring that, yeah, I have, I, I have, I like you talk about, you have a right to be here. I'm okay here. I, I love, I just love that. Um, can, can, can I build upon what please. you said yeah. about your observation? Yeah. So, so I'll make this observation about you and I'm imagining this is true. I wasn't there, but um, the fact that you could see into her soul in the way that you did, tells me that you have wandered in the forest lost oh yeah yourself. yeah right and so what you did was you married the wisdom of the knowledge of your experience knowledge plus wit plus experience equals wisdom right you married that wisdom with the empathetic stance of being able to imagine how she was feeling such that you can compassionately reach across the natural divide that exists between humans mm -hmm. and right. say, I see your heart. Yeah. And I think that's what you've come to. And I'm guessing the old Jerry didn't do that or pre 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 reboot. You didn't that, that what, what, how you're talking about how you are the same person, yet you're dramatically different. The, the ability, the desire, the, the want to look across the table and see people mm. apart from businesses and all this other stuff that we, that we build on, but mm. just see two people who are valuable in themselves and have hopes and dreams and wants and desires in themselves. And then just be able to just be able to reach out and touch the, uh, to be able to filter through the noise. Right. Mm -hmm. And just touch the individual. Uh, it, you have that too. And I, and that's why I think what intrigues me so much and why your book spoke to me, like this woman that I spoke with, we started with, should I buy this business or not to, and we ended in 20 minutes or something like that, maybe 15 with, you need to figure out why you can't have conversations with your husband. Mm -hmm. And until you figure that out, don't, don't even bother thinking about whatever this business thing is. Like mm -hmm. it's going to be a disaster. So yes. go have, well, that was, go have that conversation. That was, that was good coaching on your part. <laughs> I, and, and I, and I feel like that's what you're, those are the types of things that you unpack in your book. I mean, one of the, one of the things that's, that came out to me, uh, you talked about this idea of their irrational other. Mm -hmm. 
and and it hit me uh that is so it's so true for for me and maybe it's not for everybody but for me it was that what you talked about this idea of when this other person acts irrationally it's my uh, it's almost my goal <laughs> to correct them <laughs> help them <laughs> help them think right help them think rationally oh yes yes and 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 when rational thinking doesn't work you'll amp up your volume yeah because clearly the reason it's not working is they can't hear (laughs) right (laughs) no let me explain to you again (laughs) right i'll use different words and a little louder right and and you talk, and I and I feel like this is a it's been a lear, a growth point for me, and I feel like this is something that you talk about. This idea that you know I exist in my own space with mm-hmm. my own experiences, and I've been down certain roads, uh, and I've wandered in my own wilderness for a while, uh, and you have been down your own roads and your own journey, and so the perspective it might seem irrational to me, but your perspective is completely rational in your experience and your understanding. Um, and it's okay that two people or more teams, let's say, have completely different understandings, completely different outlooks. And our goal is not first, and this is difficult to do. Our goal is not first to help everybody come to my way of thinking. Uh, but I think to understand the other, to understand the other person and, and see, see if I can see it from their perspective. Um, how would you, how does that idea of of the irrational other play out, and how do you talk about it in your book? Right. So, so let's let's provide a little bit more context. Um, it's kind of a, a tongue in cheek discussion, and to be clear, I use examples uh, from my childhood of interacting with my mentally ill mother, who was um, the kind of you know she had. Um, she, she passed away a few years ago. She had schizoid affective disorder, bipolar. And so she would often hallucinate. Um, and as a child, um, those of your listeners who've grown up with mental illness in the home know the experience of, being, of feeling gaslighted, um, where you start to question your own sanity. And, and the insight that I, <clears throat> I shared in that chapter, which was, by the way, the most difficult chapter for me to write. Um, The insight I shared was the realization that that part of my challenge, and I see this in so many relationships that in effect find their way into the coaching sessions that I do, including, but especially with co-founders, that part of that experience is, is um, that for the individual who's experienced the other, when they experience the other as irrational, more often than not behind all of that is the fear that that irrationality is going to somehow hurt me. Right? And so... What I, I I tried to speak to in the book was the notion that when you're encountering someone uh, who is not merely motivated by their own truth, but when you're encountering someone who is 
really triggering you to the point where they're just so, quote, irrational. There is an opportunity implicit in that to actually go deeper in your one's own introspection. Because nine times out of the 10, they're looking at you saying you're the irrational other. Right. Right. And so, um, and, and, and so there's this opportunity to use that point of friction, that point of challenge, that point of pain, which by the way, is a core theme of the book, right? Yeah. We use those, those moments of pain to go deep again. Uh, because it's those moments, those moments of uh, that, for example, the uh, moments of shame that can teach us about the stories we carry in our head about what we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be and whether or not we're going to be loved unless we're that person. Or it's the stories about the way people are supposed to behave. This is truth. They're supposed to behave this way, except that they don't. <laughs> and we have to live in a world that doesn't comport to these internalized beliefs, belief systems that we grew up with. And so, uh, to me, these kinds of lessons are not just lessons designed to encourage your growth into the full potential human being that you can be, a.k.a. an adult. But they're lessons for moving towards being okay with things. That yeah. equanimity that I speak about. So Jason's ranting. So what? Right. <laughs> What's the threat? Right. And the truth is the threat, probably when we were a kid, the threat was real. And so we've internalized that. Yeah. I one of the one of the lessons that came out from uh, from your book to me, you know, I look back on my, on my childhood, I had a pretty charmed childhood. Mom and dad got along, you know, brothers and sisters, they, they were generally pretty agreeable. Uh, and so I don't have a lot of complaints somewhere along the line though. And this is interesting. Uh, the surety that, that they would be there. Mom and dad are going to be there. You know, brothers and sisters are going to be there. The surety of that um, not only gave me the ability to uh, be okay with taking risks and and things, but there was there was something in there, and I don't know where it came from, but I've uncovered it now, and it's been fascinating to make amends with it. Uh, that because I because I didn't experience a lot of hardship. I didn't have a lot of tools for hardship. And so when, when the train goes off the rails, you know, or you wander off the path and now you're in the prickers, it's like, uh, now what do I do? Is it okay? Am I okay that I'm actually experiencing these, these deep, dark feelings? I don't know how to deal with these. And, and it's taught me so much going through some of these experiences in the past several years has taught me so much about resiliency that I never had. Mm. And I've, I've got friends who've grown up in, in, in situations that they never should have made it out of, you know, you look at their and they're, and they're like, yeah, I should be dead now, but I'm not. And here's why. And they've developed some resiliency to their lives that I didn't know about. I didn't learn. Mm. 
And, and now I've kind of learned that, um, which has given me a, a totally different viewpoint uh, of, of dealing with dealing with life when it gets tough or dealing with other people or dealing with strong emotions and not backing away from those dealing with anger and being okay to sit in that space instead of having to run from it or shut it down or try and change it to something that's not let's let's reason this out so you don't have to be angry and just being able to be okay with people and their emotions and just hold the space mm. that you i mean you you're talking you talk about it and I, the power i think with which you speak comes from a comes from a difficult background you know like like you talk about your mom with some serious mental illnesses i mean that's i don't know what that's like you know uh, and you developed certain certain life skills through that and 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 so it it occurs to me that that the what you're talking about how this idea of there's another person over on the other side and they have fears you know and 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 things that they're working through and they don't want to work through them necessarily they want to hold them at bay and hope that they go away somehow right, right. regardless of our backgrounds we all hold that we all have those things sitting mm -hmm. in us undealt with issues uh you know things that we're not a, not a you know not able to look at even you know the you i, I don't recall if you talked about it in your book but the idea of the shadow the things we you know hide repress and deny and don't want to take a don't want to take a look at much less tell you about right <laughs> you know because right. then ultimately yeah i'm i'm shunned i'm out of the i'm out of the tribe like you talk about it you're gonna right. pop me out and i'm yep i knew i wasn't worth it anyhow right right can i ask you a question jason please is there a story you tell yourself about yourself about the fact that you had quote a charmed childhood Oh man, totally. I grew up thinking, uh, I grew up thinking that, um, I'm probably better, um, than most people certainly capable thing is I'm objectively, I was capable. I was good at school and I was good at the things I touched and I was good at music and, and, and if I wasn't good at, it, I just kind of stayed away from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was going to probably die a very peaceful death. Uh, there's going to be no, nothing major, you know, I'm going to have that would happen to me. I've got three kids. They're all going to probably be healthy. Everything's going to go on and it's going to be, you know, everything's charmed. And, and so you tend to create that because mm -hmm. it's the only thing, you know, and it's what you hope for too. Right. Uh, and you perpetuate, I think you perpetuate it and you're afraid of anything that isn't, um, and you don't know how to deal with it. So I, I told myself those stories. Instead of just being like, yeah, I'm just a, per I'm just, I'm just me. <laughs> and what story did you tell yourself about yourself? What was the view of yourself that you had? I mean, I already know that you fe felt perhaps that you lacked certain resilience. Yeah, I, I lived, uh, uh, I lived in fear. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, totally. I, there was this, there was in seventh grade, <laughs> mm -hmm. in seventh grade, there was this, this, you know, these stupid things that we, we tend to do as children, uh, and then create a story around it. I, in seventh grade, there was a spelling bee and I was a pretty good speller and I'm, and I want things to be a little exact and whatnot. And so I'm standing there with Kevin Park and Kevin's really good spelling too. It's me and Kevin. 
and we come to the end of this spelling bee in our classroom and whoever's going to win the classroom is going to go on to the city or the region or whatever this thing is. Mm-hmm. And I recall looking, looking back on this moment going, you know, this is the story. It's like, I was such a good guy. I purposefully spelled the, spelled the word wrong because I knew Kevin cared about, cared about that more than me. He cared about going on to the spelling bee. That's bullshit. You know what the real truth of it was? Jason was afraid that if he spelled, if he won this and then he went on to the big time, the big spelling bee, he's going to fail. And then he's not good enough. Ta-da. And so, so the, 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 the story got twisted ever so slightly to make me a hero for Kevin. When in fact, Jason's a sissy. Jason didn't want to, Jason didn't want to move on because he was afraid of failure. And that's a very, it's looking back on it now. It's like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Cause Jason didn't know how to fail. So I want to acknowledge that you're laughing and you're smiling, but there's a lot of poignancy in that story. Oh yeah. I, I and, chuckle and- now because it's like, because I come coming to, love the journey just to just to experience it i mean just to go like yeah that was oh i did that i twisted that story in my mind cuz actually i'm afraid of failure and and just to see how the how how it works out i mean it's to me it's fascinating and there's it's per, there's a particular joy in it right there's a joy to come to those realizations and to walk through it you know, there's a joy that a woman would show up in the office today and, and, and you're just like, man, I, I don't know what it is, but I can, I can see exactly where you're at and here's the way through. There's a joy in that. Yeah. And let's slow down a little bit. You used a big word for a 11, 12, 13 year old boy. You used the word sissy. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. wow it's a big word it's a big word (laughs) it's a painful word yep and um it's a word that can evoke shame it's a it's a word that can evoke pain it's a word that's weaponized Mm. and used against people totally um and I think you were doing very something very, very sophisticated to keep yourself safe. And what you were doing was actually uh, critiquing yourself. Because what did what how old were you? You said seventh grade? So seventh you were like grade. eleven, twelve, maybe something 13. like that, yeah. Yeah. So let's say the twelve year old Jason how did 12-year-old Jason feel about Jason who threw the competition so that he would not run the risk of failing on the bigger stage? Well, 12-year-old Jason had to change the story and turn it into 12-year-old Jason is here for him. Here, he is such you know, a nice guy. He's such a great guy for his buddy, Kevin. He's going to spe- misspell a word that he absolutely knows how to spell. And what did Jason, what the 12 year old Jason really feel about Jason? 
I my guess is 12-year-old Jason really wanted to achieve something and move on. But 12-year-old Jason got stuck in this idea, well, I just don't care enough about it. And it's probably true. I probably didn't care at all about yeah. the spelling. What I, what, what I heard was the fear, which is, so, as yeah. you described, I've been afraid forever. Um, and so I just want to pause and just honor that what 12-year-old Jason did was, again, very sophisticated, but very complex. And how old are you now? I'm 42. So 30 years later, you get to put that down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you do not have to carry that one anymore. Yeah. Do you have kids? I do. I've got three. How old? Uh, 19... Uh, well, 2019 and 14. All right. So the 14 year old is closest to the age. What's, what's the 14 year old's name? Madeline. She's a girl. Mm -hmm. There you are a girl. Um, yeah, let's hope that Madeline has, doesn't have to carry that kind of sophisticated twisting. Right. (laughs) Oh man. Right. But by the way, you knew what you were getting when you read my book and you were oh, me on the show. Sorry. This <laughs> is not, not a shock at all. But these, <laughs> this is, this is uh, it, it, like, I, like my intro states, like this idea, I, I have this visualization that we're all, on, we're all on a journey and once in a while we invite, I think we do, we can invite. Sometimes it gets invited for us, but I think we can invite like, hey, 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 you know what? Can you just walk? Let's just walk together for a little bit. I'm headed this way. You're probably headed that way, but I don't know. Let's walk together, right? Yeah. And it's those moments that that uh, that I think can be memorable and life changing. And when we strategically invite them, because I think we can, mm. we can create something. Mm. And I and I I I tell. I tell people that this that we have we have a unique energy in all in all of creation that 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 we have the ability to create and to destroy. Mm. The rest of nature just kind of does its thing. We, however, can create things and we can tear them down. Mm-hmm. And so this this idea of being able to be with be with one another, why would we not focus on creating? Mm. Why? You know, and whatever that moment needs, mm. create mm. that. You have you have a gift. Mm. It's a gift to create. So mm. I that yeah, I knew what I was getting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you. Your book touched my heart. There are moments where I cried, uh, mm-hmm. and I know that you're you're. Uh, I've watched enough of your stuff. I know you're kind of an emotional guy, mm. and I've become in touch with my emotions. They used to I used to know where they were at. They were like st- sitting on the shelf someplace, <laughs> and people were like how how you feel about that? I don't know. Let me find out. Right? Mm. It's like <laughs> I'm through it. I'm like I can't. I don't know. I don't know what this emotion is, but. I don't like it. Now, you're, Stick it over now you're a little bit closer to them. Now, just like okay, here, here it is. Here's my emotion, and I can well, and I can use isn't them. That, isn't that the truism, the truth? Yeah. Right. When we're socialized to keep those emotions on the shelf, um, we may come across as not intentionally, but we may come across as not entirely true. Yes. And that can be felt by others. Yeah, and you, there, there's a connection. There's a connection that, as I was 
going through the bookmarks that I made for for myself in your book because I was listening to the audio book. You talk mm. about in this idea of true of truing things up and, and integrity. You say aliveness comes from living a life of personal integrity in which our outer actions match our inner values, beliefs, wishes, and dreams. And right before that, you give a you give a quote. People conflate the purpose or pre- pursuit of purpose with the pursuit of aliveness. People conflate the pursuit of purpose and the, with the pursuit of aliveness. Break that down. It seems there's a, well, the there's a nugget from in there. Campbell. Yeah, yeah, the quotes from Joseph Campbell and, and what he was responding to was, uh, and Campbell, the great mythologist and, and interpreter of the human experience, and what he was responding to was uh, the you know, collective question that so many folks have, which is, what is the meaning of life? And rather than what he was doing was making an observation about the, the question that people carry, which is, what is the meaning of my life? And um, he was shortcutting short circuiting to the end saying that what he what his in his observation was was that people want to know the meaning of their lives they want to know the purpose because they believe that will give them a feeling of aliveness Hmm. and uh i think that the larger issue that is that is lost in that, right? What happens is that um, out of the fears of the emotions that the pursuit of the answer to that question, what is the purpose of my life? Out of the fears that that question can invoke, we intellectualize that experience. Hmm. We put those feelings on the shelf. It doesn't surprise me that that section spoke to you because um, uh, in order to feel alive, you have to feel the full gamut of your feelings. That is the definition of aliveness, right? That and respiration. And so what uh, another way to understand what Joseph Campbell was saying was that um, don't look for the, the meaning of your life. Do the things that give you a sense of aliveness and meaning will flow from that. Mm. And I added to that by saying that one measure of that life, of aliveness, is the degree to which you are living true, mm. living with integrity. Another measure of that is the degree to which you are kind, right? Because kindness, empathy come from having those emotions off the shelf and in in your body. Mm -hmm. And this is counter counterintuitive because we have grown up in a, in a society, this Western culture that believes in the primacy of the prefrontal cortex. Given enough time, I can figure out anything. Given enough books, given enough pencil and paper, I can puzzle it all out. 
And what we're talking about is something else. It's about feeling your way into your own purpose rather than defining your purpose and then achieving. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like in, in one point in time, somebody told me this idea that the difference between mentoring and coaching is the mentor kind of knows a specific way to a specific way to go specific way to do things. And they're going to share those with you and you learn them. Whereas coaching begins at the premise that the answer is inside you. You're just not yet aware of it. And at, we ask better questions and get better answers. And this idea of connecting, I think what you're talking about, connecting yourself with the hidden parts of yourself or the parts that you don't want to, don't want to look at and the parts that you've put on the shelf uh, yield yield this idea of who am I? And then once you, once you are that person, then, well, you will be that person. You will walk that out. The things that you do will have your fingerprint on them. It's like speaking with, it's like people who, uh, uh, literary scholars who have see, see, see works that they don't know who the author is. And they look at them like, Oh, the voice, the Mm. voice with which this person speaks must be this other, right. And they can identify the author. Mm-hmm. And feel like you that's know, what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a, there's actually a framed quote in the bookcase there that I, I can't turn the camera around to show you, but it's from Suzuki Roshi. And what he wrote was, to find the meaning of your life is to find the meaning of the everyday. Hmm. And what he's saying is, um, by looking at the, the work that we do, the way we are every day, that will uncover and reveal the, the the work that we are to do, the the person we are to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Put another way, where we place our attention starts to define our lives. Right. Um, and so um, we go back in time. You were curious about the state I was in versus the state I am, and the state I was in. Um, was not confident enough in my true worth as a person to let go of the need to use my day-to-day activities to prove my worth as a person. Mm. Today, that question is so much less loud in my life that I can bring my full attention and presence to my clients, to my work, to walking down the street, to sitting here doing a podcast conversation with you. The irony is, the non-intuitive irony is, I am a thousand times happier, (laughs) not focused on happiness. Right. Yeah. Right. Not focus on getting, not focus on achieving, not focus on attaining, not focus on being perceived to be whatever it was that I needed to be perceived as. And the consequence of living with that integrity is I'm happy. Right. And it seems also for, for you, you're a very intellectual guy. Uh, and 
I try not to be insulted by that. <laughs> I know. I can't imagine. <laughs> but your gift of being able to think things through uh, is, uh, w- which I think you used at one point in time to serve you to kind of like to uphold like who's Jerry and a Jerry's good enough, smart enough, and he can do it. Yeah. Now is the same is the same strength that you use to think through all of these complex situations in the heart mm-hmm. and, and can lay them out. It's like, you can mm-hmm. almost, I feel like you can lay them out, you know, as you would on a conference table or on a board and then consider and really process where, how are all these things coming together and then articulate them. Cause clearly you've been thinking about this stuff for a long time. You you're so articulate in how you, how you roll them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and you you mean exactly what you're saying. Oh, now that's a compliment. Um, I strive to mean what I say and to say what I mean. I strive almost to drive the people in my life crazy because I'm very <laughs> careful about what words I choose. Um <laughs> But, um, yeah, uh, I, I think what the, the result is that and I hope what I'm about to say is true. The result is that the people with whom I engage feel seen and heard. which I think that there's no greater gift that you can give another human is to see them and to hear them and feel them fully. Can Mm. I tell you a quick story? Please. I was, uh, I did a book reading at a client company on Monday. Today's Wednesday. And, uh, um, I read, I read from the chapter on equanimity, which begins with a really, uncomfortable thought which is a line of something like this here's a fact to break your heart parents children lovers friends dreams all die and i go on to talk about the roller coaster of life and that that is what life is supposed to be life is a roller coaster right the existence of the roller coaster the emotional experience doesn't mean you've done something wrong it just means you're alive right yep um anyways as the conversation unfolded i made a comment about the irrational other we were talking about that and this woman off to my left just nodded so strongly it was it was like her head was a bobblehead and she was just nodding 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 i was like okay i'm i'm really saying something that's true for her (laughs) And then finally she raised her hand and made a point and she, and she asked a question and what she asked was so revealing. She said, we ended up talking about culture and organizations. And she said, you know, how do you create a good culture when people like myself are so afraid to drop the wall? Mm. And um, I paused in my response and I looked at her and I said, she was a woman of color. And I said, I want you to know that I see you. 
And I just need to identify that I am a white, cisgendered male of power and privilege. And so I said, and there are good and important reasons why you keep that wall up. Because you have learned to stay safe. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier for people who have power in a given situation to drop a wall. And she was startled by my response. And then she started to cry. And she said, it's really, really hard for me to share my true feelings. And I kept saying, I know, I see. And you keep doing that. You keep yourself safe. And then she paused and she said, but wait, I'm sharing my true feelings right now. I said, yes, you are. I see that. And then she said, and I'm safe. I said, and yes, you are. Yeah. Right. Now, I say all that because. That gift flowed both ways. There was something I said that enabled her to nod her heads and and to, and, and and there was a connection that she was feeling that was that was body it was somatic she was feeling it to the point where she had to shake her body mm-hmm. and in that somatic connection she felt safe enough to identify and affect how often she doesn't feel safe and in that. She gave a gift to everybody in the room. The CEO, who's a client of mine, came over to me and said, she never opens up. Wow. And I learned more about her in those few minutes than I've known in two years. Yeah. What a shame. What a shame that we hold, we hold ourselves so tightly that we force, I think, sometimes or demonstrate to others how important it is that they hold and withhold uh and and i and i like you talk about in your book um and in the core at the core and i i I think of it this way i don't think you said it this way in the book but at the core we're little kids and we we have we're on the we're on the playground again with our ball and we're hoping that somebody's going to come play ball and we're terrified that we would walk up to somebody and say, Hey, you want to play ball with me? And then say, you No, I'm not playing ball with you. And instead of help, instead of valuing others and helping them be seen, we instead make them feel alone in our presence because we're happily playing ball with everyone else. And I'm just left there. Okay. I, I knew it. I, I think your observation is spot on. And if I may add to it, I actually am not 100% sure that when we say no or when, when that person says no, I won't play with you, that we then go off and we're in community someplace else. I think what's happening is even when we're in a group, we remain alone. Yeah, And the, the, to me, the truest tragedy here is we are unnecessarily uh, alone. Yeah. And so we don't get to be human together. And being human together is the most 
powerful of experiences. Yeah. I mean, and on a, in just the kind of a cultural and timely note, you know, the coronavirus is going around now and countries are closing areas of their country or maybe their entire borders and part parts of the world are going into economic recession over this and who knows what's going to happen here in the States. What happens? What happens when all the things that we built, which keep us safe externally, aren't there anymore? Mm. What then? What if we are just people? We are just humans waking up, hoping to, hoping to be loved and, and to mm. give love and be accepted and to give acceptance. What if that's all we are? Mm. And what if, what if all of this stuff, like mm. we talk about, you know, this, this idea of Western society, mm. uh, which seems to perpetuate some of these things, um, what, what happens when there's nothing except people, we're just human. Um, what's, what's something practical? What's a practical way? And I, and I think that people should read your book for sure. Um, what's, what's something practical the person could pick up at right after they listen to this and take it and exercise it to, to flex that muscle and feel what it feels like to be human and, and help other people be seen and, and maybe allow themselves to be seen. Well, maybe maybe I'll steer away from the word practical and into the word simple. Yes, thank you. Better word. Um, so I have this reputation for making people cry. <laughs> um, and there's even a Wired magazine article called uh, titled uh, "This Man Makes Founders Cry." Um, and the secret. Uh, to my quote, making people cry is really because I encourage them to feel. And my infamous question for encouraging people to feel is, How are you? Mm. And I ask the question like I give a shit. Mm -hmm. Because often, too often, we ask that question and we actually don't care. Yep. We use it as a conversational bridge or as an interlude or a pause in the experience. And so maybe the simple thing that we can do is uh, take someone with whom you are involved, but haven't spent a lot of time in true intimate connection with. Go for a walk. You had this image before. Walk shoulder to shoulder. Speak one to the other. For 15, 20 minutes, uninterruptedly, let the listener do nothing, no fixing, no setting straight, no explaining, just listen. And uh, speak to the question of, it's a simple icebreaker that people often use. The thing I wish people knew about me is. Mm. <laughs> right? First one speaks, then the other speaks. Take a walk with your teenager. Take a walk with your spouse. Take a walk with your sibling. 
take a walk with your co-founder or your co-worker. And just talk to that question. I guarantee tears will flow. Because what happens is, like the woman the other day, we experience being heard. And that's the biggest tragedy. Maybe the silver lining, I don't know, I'm in New York, is the coronavirus scare sweeps the nation and conferences and speaking gigs are canceled left and right. Maybe the biggest gift is we all slow the fuck down. Mm. And we just hang out with each other. And, you know, markets are volatile and they're all getting nauseated by the markets. And it is what it is what it is. And check out that moonrise. That feels like a dream to me. Yeah. How's that for practical? That is, uh, that is simple and beneficial. I think absolutely. Mm -hmm. Girl at the gym the other day asked me, how are you? Mm -hmm. And I flub, I flubbered around and I Mm -hmm. said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it afterwards. She said, I just want to, I just want to thank you for, for telling me that you don't know. And I was like, well, it's the truth. I don't know. (laughs) Well, Jerry, I so, so much, uh, appreciate, um, appreciate you walking with me on my journey, uh, coming over to my Mm -hmm. path for a little bit. Um, I, again, I, uh, I don't say it lightly that you're, your book and your openness and the stories that you tell and your journey. I want to honor the journey that you've been on. And I know it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, and it wasn't charmed. Um, but man, so worth it. Cause I think the impact that you make certainly for me, uh, is something I couldn't, I couldn't have, uh, couldn't have made up. So your, your book hit me at the, at the right time. Um, and I'm sure it is, is for everybody as well who reads that. Um, obviously, you can get the book at Amazon, um, and it, I, it's on Audible. And, and leave and leave positive reviews. If you have a negative yeah. review, don't leave it. Right, no. <laughs> that's the key. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> upvote, upvote. <laughs> but if people want to experience uh, your coaching and and the groups that you have, it's reboot.io. That's right. That's right. And I have my own podcast and we put a lot of free content out because we think it's really important that we encourage people to do this work. So yeah, that's, that's a good spot to reach us. Well, again, thank you so much. I appreciate knowing you uh, and I will count you among my friends. Uh, you got that. That makes me happy. And it makes me super happy to hear that your book is marked up. That, that means a lot to me. Oh, yeah. it's 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 very good so again thank you so much for being on the what works podcast thank you jason if you know a person working to change the world who would be a great guest on the what works podcast contact me jason at the real jtod.com